Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Sleep Mums A to Z's, the place where we take the WTF of parenthood and make it as easy as ABC, kind of. I'm Kat Cuby, parenting journalist, broadcaster and always on detention. And this is Sarah Carpenter, baby sleep consultant and expert and a star pupil, aren't you? Together we are the Sleep Mums. So Sarah, any funny report cards from school? <laughs> I don't think I do have any from school, but I definitely got marked down in the first term at college for being biased towards the BBs. That's like a natural human instinct. <laughs> I, I thought so. <laughs> I was told I was an enigma and a prima donna, which obviously appealed to my enigmatic, dramatic self. <laughs> This week, we're talking reflux with GP mum, Dr. Stephanie Uy. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Reflux is thought to affect about 40% of babies, so loads of us will have personal experience of it. But despite this huge instance of reflux and the many connected issues, because it can be a wee bit complicated, parents still have a bit of a battle getting help sometimes and occasionally aren't taken that seriously. I personally think that the word colic has quite a lot to answer for. Given how many of us have first-hand knowledge of a reflux baby, and what's more, given that obviously we care about sleep, the huge impact it can have on sleep, we wanted to chat to someone who would be able to give us some up-to-date expert information and advice. So today we're joined by Dr. Stephanie Uy. Steph is mum to two girls, one age three, and her beautiful lockdown little who just turned one. Happy birthday, baby girl. Uh, She's a London GP, co-hosts the Medic Mum podcast and runs the GP Mum on Instagram. Hello, Steph. It's so lovely to have you with us. It's great to be here, virtually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So before we get chatting about all things reflux, please tell us a wee bit about you and how on earth you manage the juggle, because as I say, you've got a lot on. Yes, so I think um, you kind of covered most of it really in your in your intro. Um, so I'm a GP. I have been qualified for six years now, um, and I have two little girls, like you said. And I've just gone back to work. So I had a baby during first lockdown, and she has just turned one. And yeah, gone back to work. My first day was last Thursday, and so I guess I'm now entering the life of working mum um and just trying to navigate that space really but um yeah what a year we've all had it's been strange kind of having a baby and being at home and it not being the same at all to my first maternity leave dealing with all the challenges of that kind of lack of support from friends and family not being able to see anyone obviously but then still watching this cute little bundle growing up as well it's just been a very um it's been a time of mixed emotions for sure for us as a family but also equally so thankful that we've had this little baby to kind of keep us going in a way it must be hard now making that transition back to work because did you feel like you've been kind of robbed of your maternity leave or do do you feel like it's just been different yeah I do I do think it has been different I I know a lot of people feel that they have been robbed I guess I guess I feel like I was able to stay at home and be safe. So for that, I'm very thankful. And I guess for us, the silver lining was that my husband was there for at home, like normally on a day. So he's a GP as well. And uh, he would sometimes be working at clinics that finish at eight o'clock in the evening. So he would miss 
bedtimes, you know, two, three times a week. Um, but he's hardly missed any bedtimes at all over this year. So for that, I think that that has been a huge silver lining for us. But obviously, you know, my poor baby, she has not been to any baby classes. Um, she hardly met any other babies as well. She actually started, we started her at nursery a little bit earlier than was planned. So I was planning to, we were planning to actually just send her maybe a couple of weeks or so before I started work. But actually, she started when she was about 10 months old, because I thought, well, nursery is like one big baby sensory class isn't it so uh she can go a little bit earlier and actually again that helped because you know you have that guilt don't you of sending them to nursery you not being there and I was finding it difficult to justify the fact that she was there and I hadn't started work yet but then thought do you know what she hasn't been around any other babies at all and this is her chance to go and you know make little baby friends so yeah it's been it's been tough and definitely haven't had as much coffee and cake as I would have liked (laughs) but I'd like to think that I'm going to try and make up for it now so trying to plan to see a couple of friends um in the meantime those sort of uh, mental battles we put ourselves through where it comes to childcare and nursery are huge um but you're you know you're totally right yeah I'm, I'm surprised by the coffee thing I literally have been like (laughs) drunk so much coffee (laughs) I'm chugging the coffee. I mean, coffee, you know, the, yeah, that's the thing. You can have coffee at home, but there's nothing like no, paying for an overpriced exactly. coffee in a cafe, is there? Exactly. <laughs> Those little things. Um, but like I said, trying to, yeah, we'll try and make the most of it now. So as you might have guessed, our letter this week is R for reflux. And I guess also R for really, really hard We felt that talking about reflux was important, partly because of the high incidence in small babies, but also because studies have shown parents who report excessive crying, a common part of reflux, which then also often impacts sleep, tend to score higher on depression scores. So why are still some folk so quick to fob it off when you have both the child's and the parent's health at the centre of it? So, Steph, I'm sure we'll come back to the whys because they are pretty big questions. Mm-hmm. But maybe first, let's start with a bit more of a medical definition of what reflux actually is. Yes, of course. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we're talking about this because it is very it's very common, like you said, and the potential impact on baby and on sleep and parents as well is huge. So it's a good thing to talk about. So if we think about when your baby is born, um, there is a little sphincter, like a we think of it like a door that um, is between the food pipe and the stomach. And when they're born, that can, um, what would normally happen in, in most people is that um, it prevents the contents of the stomach from going back up. Um, but in little babies, sometimes it's not developed as much. And so that door can let the contents of the stomach go back up into the food pipe. Um, and that is that is reflux. And the thing is, there's a spectrum. So there is reflux in babies is actually normal and by reflux I mean probably what people think of as positing so kind of Mm -hmm. you know you feed them and then a little bit after they burp and they might bring up some spit up um, or you know uh, five ten minutes later they might bring up a little bit of milk um that's what all those muslins are meant for exactly yeah muslins everywhere in those (laughs) early days right they're just like everywhere in the house um so that in itself is normal um but it becomes more problematic when 
obviously the, the stomach the contents of the stomach are quite acidic and that's normal we need that in order to be able to break down um what's going in there um but when the acid starts to reflux back up into the uh food pipe that can obviously cause a lot of discomfort and if anyone during pregnancy or in general has had heartburn or anything like that you will know how uncomfortable that can be to experience so that's kind of what's happening in your little baby so no wonder they um kind of tell you about it and have a bit of a tough time with it and is it a wee bit like um sorry i I, we were talking about not going on tangents and i feel like i'm already (laughs) going on one um but you know how we kind of joke that you know babies are sort of badly designed and that you know they don't they're not born with teeth which you know there there are reasons why that could be difficult in in other ways but you know because that teething process is so long and so hard and you just think why do we do it to ourselves and I suppose it's a bit you know like the sun often underdeveloped sphincter and in the babies yeah it seems a bit weird that we're not better (laughs) it's not better developed do you know what I mean because it's such a common issue yeah I know do you know what so again, I'm going to carry on with the tangent, but we went away recently for a few days. We went to a farm and there were these little lambs that had been born literally two days before. And they were already like kind of trying to stand up, walk around. And they looked, they did not look two days old. And I thought, my goodness, can you compare this to a two day old baby? Like, it's just, it's so bizarre how you're right, like, um, from a evolutionary point of view yeah why are we born that way (laughs) don't expect to answer that question (laughs) yeah exactly someone far cleverer who has like a phd or something can you know anthropology can go and um find that out but it's yeah you're right it's fascinating so the yeah babies just aren't very well equipped are they unfortunately um in terms of uh kind of physiolog- physiologically obviously they are um you know they have that that urgency to feed that need to feed and they will kind of um you know you see those very cute videos sometimes of babies being born and then they somehow find their way to the nipple and things like that so they've got those all of those innate uh reflexes yeah. um but there are some things that actually from an like I was saying evolutionary point of view um could could probably be better (laughs) must do better (laughs) baby baby 2.0 and obviously it is more common in 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 some babies or or the effects can be worse in some babies than others but also and I think this is sort of connected um and you will know more about this from a medical point of view but there are lots Mm. of digestion things that can kind of go on babies and it's not always reflux but can can appear like it yeah exactly so I think the the challenging thing always with babies and just you know medical things in general is that we see the symptoms first wouldn't it be great if you could say look this is a baby with reflux and then you would understand all of the symptoms yes but it would be amazing that would be incredible wouldn't it but unfortunately it's the other way around so we see the symptoms that the reflux brings on so you will notice things like if they are feeding they might be uncomfortable because the milk is going into the stomach but then it's kind of coming back up again so they might be fussing a lot um sometimes a bit of back arching when they're feeding um they may bring up a lot of milk um, afterwards, um, even after burping them, uh, keeping them upright for, you know, 10, 20 minutes. There are some babies, you know, parents will come in and say, I've got to keep 
my baby up for like an hour after a feed that is yeah. not that's not normal yeah. um you may also notice like you said that like a lot of crying as well just feeling like they're in a lot of discomfort as well perhaps they prefer to be upright rather than lying down flat because just of the way that you can imagine if you've got a bit of a faulty valve um if you are upright obviously that's going to keep things down a little bit more so those are some of the symptoms that you might um that you might notice a lot of hiccuping coughing potentially as well um and then if reflux is really causing a problem then you will notice that they are not gaining weight um as well and I think that that is an important point to talk about mm-hmm. um, in terms of the not gaining weight. Obviously, if a baby is not gaining weight, then that is something that is highlighted by someone that might be, you know, mom, health visitor or GP. And that will usually uh, trigger further, not further testing, but uh, further consultation and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. However, there are babies who have reflux and don't necessarily lose weight and I think that potentially that is a more difficult area to navigate because I think that potentially some healthcare professionals feel well I know that some parents you know through messages and things that I get on Instagram some people have said well my baby was symptomatic but actually the GP said um they weren't losing weight and so actually it wasn't a problem um and I think that maybe a few people have been said that and from a medical point of view, you could argue that, okay, they're not losing weight, so things are okay. But I think the other side that we've got to think about is the impact on baby, impact on mum. If your baby is still uncomfortable, if you're finding that obviously distressing as a parent to watch and not knowing how to help them, etc., even if they're not gaining weight, that is still a problem for you at home. And so I think that that is still very relevant in terms of it being an issue. Yeah, I think I th- I think um like one of the reasons that that I mentioned colic is because I think that parents are often fobbed off because there's this feeling what well, mm. oh babies cry and so uh, people can be a wee bit cynical about a parent's experience of that mm. particularly if they are a first time mum or dad mm. and you know I think that you mentioned it right at the start as well like positing is normal and it's that difference between and and that is really really hard line between what is normal and what is not normal because you know for firstly as a parent you don't know and and also as you say experience is so important which is something we massively talk about on on the sleep mums as well because you know you've you've got to take that as an integral part of of baby and and parents experience yeah absolutely yeah I, I think so and I think that do you know, I think I've I've been there. You, you kind of go in with your baby and you're a little bit unsure of what's happening. And I had, guess I had the added layer of, I'm a GP. I should, maybe I should know what's yeah. going on. Like you feel like, oh gosh, what are they going to think about me? You know, et cetera. And you've got, so you've got all that going on in the background. Um, but as a parent, I think you also have that. I've had so many parents apologize and say, I'm so sorry if I'm wasting your time. Um, yeah. But you go in and sometimes it's difficult to, you know, you're tired and sometimes it's difficult to really paint a picture of what's going on. And that's not, I'm not saying that that's, you know, the parents fault at all, but it's just, it's the situation, isn't it? And then on the other side, you've got the GP who's maybe a little bit more time pressured and, um it's just sometimes there can be a bit of a disconnect in in the consultation and so I think that 
what can help sometimes is really writing the symptoms down that you've noticed and so you can just refer to it and say look this is what's happening um and being quite clear and kind of stating um you know the the effect that it's having on you as well because I think that that is always really significant if a parent says that they are struggling and having a difficult time then that is something that um should be flagged I think that is really really important you know going back to the sort of weight gain thing as well I've worked with so many parents who have come back to me saying you know the GP is just saying that because they're gaining weight there is no issue but it's the effects on the parents mental health and then the effects on how they're dealing with other children in the family and you can just see it all unravel so quickly Mm. Um, and also you, you know you're saying about sort of taking notes and things I think that's maybe one of the better things that have come out of the COVID situation is the fact yeah. that parents are now being encouraged to actually sort of send little videos and snippets mm-hmm. that send them by email before the consultation. So yeah. actually GPs are seeing a little bit more of the bigger picture, which yeah. I think has been a really good thing and hopefully something that will be able to continue because actually for parents reassurance to actually be sending what they're going through, I think is helping a lot. So yeah absolutely and I think the the nature of telephone consultations as well I mean it's like you know how we've set up this podcast today it's great I haven't had to travel anywhere I've had to walk up the stairs um and we've had to do this and so again with a parent you know that getting out of the house with a baby gosh that takes so long and logistics and stuff so actually Mm -hmm. maybe you've got to wait for the appointment so by the time you get into the appointment potentially your baby has already kind of thought you know what I've reached my limit I've had enough and if they're a little bit unsettled etc you're not going to be able to concentrate as much but maybe if you can speak to someone on the phone that might just be a little bit easy for you and so your mindset will be you'll just be a little bit fresher I suppose maybe maybe potentially Mm -hmm. be able to concentrate a little bit more so you're right I definitely think that um telephone or virtual consultations can be a huge advantage to parents Mm -hmm. at the moment can we just touch on silent reflux because I know that that impacts um parents a lot as well and and Mm -hmm. there can be a wee bit of confusion just given that we're talking about oh is it what's normal yeah absolutely so silent reflux is you've got the same uh physiological process that is going on so the milk is coming back up but it's not going all the way so you're not going to actually see the huge volumes of vomiting um I think silent reflux is almost a bit um, of a misnomer because it's almost more like vanishing reflux or something because it quite often silent reflux is not silent at all it's just that you're not seeing exactly exactly you're not exactly that's exactly what it is you're not seeing the the um consequences of it but you certainly are still seeing the discomfort because they're experiencing it so um I guess it's similar to a lot of adults you know adults who have really bad acid reflux problems we don't vomit we don't tend to vomit with it but you will feel it it's all internal um so it's yeah very similar as well and so therefore it can be a little bit more tricky to diagnose um as a result We did do a podcast recently on allergies, which obviously we know you've got personal experience of. Mm. Um, There has been a a noted increase of allergies in babies and young children. And Mm. do you think that's also the case for reflux? And, you know, are they, is there a bigger connection now? What do you think? Yeah, so you're right. I think that um, certainly with allergy symptoms, you know, being uncomfortable, a lot of the symptoms that reflux will give, um, so firstly, it can 
cause reflux but also a lot of the symptoms like uh you know the discomfort when they're feeding vomiting up lots being you know crying lots all of that you can have that with if your baby has an allergy as well so um it can be a little bit confusing to kind of unpick what's what um and i don't i guess i would say to parents who are listening and maybe worried at the moment you know does my baby have reflux do they have allergies when you speak to your GP, you might not necessarily get the answer straight away. And I think that's because it's a bit of unpicking. But what I would say is, is try and encourage you to go back if things aren't better. And I hope that that's the plan that you would have with your GP as well. Um, because it can, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit of trial and error just to figure out what the symptoms are. Um, sometimes it's not always clear cut. Um, do I think that the um, incidence of reflux is on the rise? I, yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I think maybe that's also because parents are more aware of it and potentially presenting to the GP more as well. And yeah. because there is talk about, you know, like we're doing now, raising mm-hmm. awareness about it and saying, actually, you don't have to just put up with it at home. It's something that you can go and seek advice for. Again, I think that's a good push as well so I do think that more GPs are seeing um, babies with reflux parents that are worried about reflux Mm -hmm. too and so if parents do manage to get a diagnosis like whether whether that's you know going down the obviously the allergy route or something some other digestive issue but particularly because we're talking about reflux what what can parents do about it if they get a diagnosis of reflux and does it always require medication because I know there's been a lot of chat about medicines for reflux and which ones are okay and you know all of that and also I know Sarah has a huge amount of experience of dealing with parents who have been put on various things. Yes um, so I guess there are a few it depends on how severe I would say the reflux is um, and that's going to be a decision a joint decision between parents and the GP about what steps that they want to take certainly medication is there as an option um, and uh, it can be very effective as well and uh, there is medication that is safe for your baby to take to help with the reflux as well it's um, basically it's baby doses of what we would give adults for reflux Um, and but equally it's not just medication as well so if you wanted to try other things there are you know the thing is most people probably would have tried a lot of the things as well you know like keeping them upright um if they're formula feeding or bottle feeding little and often is probably a little bit better um so that they're not having to deal with as large a volume of milk in the tummy um using the sling I think just practically on a day-to-day basis I think can be so helpful for babies with reflux just because it keeps them in that upright position they love being close to you and parents have got their hands free then to either you know get on with something or at least you're just not having to hold them and, and carry them the whole time so I think that that is a definite top tip I was fortunate I did, my two babies didn't have um reflux but certainly from speaking to parents who do they love the sling uh, Sarah I don't know if you um if you use the sling at all with your little one yeah 
No, definitely. Um, I would always recommend people use a sling and also the Baby Bjorn bouncy chair yeah. because you can set it to a higher angle than a lot of the other bouncy yeah. chairs yeah. and you can stop it bouncing as much. Mm-hmm. So for, that's a really good one for reflux babies. Yeah, the, the Baby Bjorn chair is really good for weaning as well, particularly with reflux yeah. babies mm-hmm. because of that angle mm-hmm. reason as well. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and also sometimes if you don't, there are also different types of medications. So there is the anti-reflux medication that I was talking about, but there are also um, sometimes thickeners that you can add to baby's milk as well, just to try and help it to sit in the stomach a little bit better. Um, so those are also other options. And then obviously if you're going down the allergy route and it's a suspected allergy, uh, you know, then you can make a plan with that. Um, do you try a different type of milk, like a, a dairy-free milk, or does mum try an exclusion diet um, for a couple of weeks and see if symptoms get better? And if they do, the key thing with an exclusion diet is that you reintroduce it afterwards to see if the symptoms worse and present again. I think um, one of the things, obviously, with medication, which can be really, really successful, in fact, um, both of my kids ended up on reflux meds at one point, mm. but um, ultimately with my son, it was, um, I think, lactose intolerance rather than reflux. And my daughter mm-hmm. uh, had tongue tie. And the, so there were issues there. So actually, neither of them, mm-hmm. pro- I think, probably actually had reflux. But that's that thing that it, it can be really confusing. But also the, yeah. the thing with medication is that it can then also give you other problems like constipation and things like that. So it can be a bit of a difficult juggle. That's not to say it's not really, really useful, because I, mm-hmm. I also think it is is um, incomparable in certain certain circumstances um yeah and I think just talking about exclusion diets and things I think there is a wee bit of a trend and you maybe know you probably know more about this because I know your daughter has had allergies but that of Mm. of folk maybe seeing reflux type symptoms but thinking it's an allergy and therefore going Mm. straight away to cutting things out of their diet so whilst it can be a really good thing to do and and I'm sure you would say this anyway that people should also always do that under the guise of of a a health professional rather than just going oh do you know what I'm going to give this a go yeah absolutely because uh you know cutting out something like dairy from your diet uh that's a huge you know it's an entire food group and so that's not something to take lightly and whilst obviously we would do anything for our little ones I think we've also got to remember that um our nutrition is important too and uh even if you decide well maybe this is something I should do you know you're struggling to get hold of anyone don't just continue excluding I you know I think that's the thing it's it's just whatever point you decide to do that make sure that you're talking to a healthcare professional at some point um, you know early on in in excluding it or you know a couple before you before you consider doing it as well um because it is that like I said it's that reintroduction that is the really important step and understandably if you've been excluding something and your baby is better, why on earth would you as a parent want to potentially, uh, you know, start having it dairy again and then make it worse for your baby? But you've just got to exclude the coincidence, um, you know, it could yeah. be a coincidence that things have gotten better. And again, it's a really huge call to say well then we're just going to exclude dairy from your the maternal diet but also baby's diet when you start weaning. Um, so Again, uh, yeah, definitely would recommend speaking to someone. And also um, these things change quickly, I think, as well, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that 
and and the good news obviously is that lot that because it is about an immaturity of gut in various different guises that often you know um babies do grow out of it just going back to the age thing would you agree that um, most babies have actually grown out of reflux by 12 months yes i would so you're at the typical age in terms of symptoms when you might notice the symptoms um is typically kind of around newborn the first few months um I mean obviously you're getting to know your baby so it can be tricky to you know but once you've established a pattern and you feel like things aren't getting any better certainly the first few months um but the good thing is because it is a maturing of the gut and that muscle sphincter um generally by one thing should be better if not before so actually if you notice that symptoms are persisting beyond one year old then definitely that's something to flag up and actually another thing that to flag up is also if you they've been fine and then after six months old you notice reflux symptoms again that is something to flag up because generally you would have expected to notice it earlier I mentioned at the beginning that reflux can impact sleep. Obviously, Sarah, I know you see loads of clients whose babies have reflux because they often get in touch with you for for that reason because they're like, ah, I'm not sleeping. Um, But so maybe I should actually ask both of you, Steph, Sarah, what are some of the ways that reflux can affect sleep and what can parents do about it? Um, So, I mean, what I see a lot of is obviously parents who you know, they're they're doing their best to help the babies, so they are keeping them upright. Often they then keep them upright for an extended period of time and before you know it, they are then sleeping with baby on their chest, sitting up in bed yeah. all night, which has a massive negative effect to both mum and dad who are now not getting any real sleep and their mm-hmm. anxiety is going through the roof because they are obviously worried about the positions that they are finding themselves in with baby from a safety point of view. Because I think that we actually haven't really touched on it, there can be that thing, obviously, which the reason for keeping them upright is that babies obviously do that kind of choking thing when they are lying down. And that can be so terrifying as a parent. Yeah, it can be, um, you know, hearing that sort of choking. But, you know, also, you know, if a mum falls asleep or a dad falls asleep with baby on their chest, then it does open them up to you know, obviously other risks, which they then panic about as well. So they're then sitting with matchsticks in their eyes trying to stay awake just yeah. so the baby can get some sleep. Or, you know, they'll have fallen into the trap of repeatedly lifting them and putting them down, lifting them mm-hmm. and putting them down. And before they know it, it's two, three o'clock in the morning and nobody's actually had an opportunity to lie down for more than half an hour. So lots of things. Which then obviously kind of exacerbates the issue, whether it's overtiredness in baby or a parent. Um, but mm-hmm. also presumably there's a bit of that in terms of feeding, because when babies are tired, you know, whether they're bottle or breast, then that, you know, if they're really tired because they're not getting sleep, then they can take more air in. And that then is going to impact digestive things, you know, whether it's impacting the reflux or, or not, you know, and that can just exacerbate crying too. God, I feel like I'm painting an awful picture <laughs> But I think it's important because that is, it's the reality, isn't it, for a lot of parents that are dealing with reflux. And I think um, you always feel like, well, it's probably just happening to us, but actually you aren't alone and it can be really awful and these are the challenges. And so knowing that you can go and seek help as well is is another thing, is is really important. Um, yeah, it's so hard. It's it really hard. It is really hard. And I think sometimes you don't realise until you've come out of it, right? It's only when you look back and you think, gosh, you know, 
what were we doing? But because um, you're kind of on a adrenaline and also yeah. you kind of just have to do the next thing that you have to do yeah. when you're looking after yeah. a small you go into survival mode. Yeah. Definitely go into survival mode. Yeah. Um, I think we should probably say as well, though, that some reflux babies do actually still sleep. It's not across yes. the board yeah. that reflux babies don't sleep. Yeah. So don't want everyone who's got a reflux baby going into panic mode that they're never going to sleep again. Um, some do actually adjust quite well. So yeah, I guess as well, because it can be impacted by feeding. Like if so this is me freestyling. So Sarah, you can totally tell me if I'm wrong or not. But say actually you have a baby who is sleeping through and <laughs> um, that they you know in in some ways if they're having less feeds overnight that might actually impact reflux less or, 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 although am I making that sound awful because then parents who've got reflux babies were like ah I just need them to sleep <laughs> yeah there's an element of it obviously um you know when you feed a baby with reflux then that can obviously exacerbate the pain of reflux so you know overly feeding throughout the evening and night but at the same time you don't want to cut back no, the feeds until no. the baby is very clearly ready to do yeah. that so it is getting a balance yeah it's difficult yeah and that's yeah. why you get into the circumstance of feeding and then trying to keep them upright for as long as possible afterwards mm-hmm. yeah I think it's also important to say that um when you are putting them talking about safe sleep as well so when you are putting them down obviously you may notice that they're you may notice that they are uncomfortable when you lie them flat and the temptation might be to okay well you know similar to a baby bouncer or in a sling let's try and elevate the head of their Moses basket or whatever it is that they're sleeping in that's not actually recommended um so as tempting as that might be as a solution uh we don't want to be adding putting extra paraphernalia in the cot um in terms of sleep safety mm-hmm. and so is it still recommended that you can raise the moses basket or cot from the legs so nothing's going into the cot oh Yes, yeah, exactly. Because there are some, yeah, so what I mean is, you know, the, like, it's almost like sleep positioners, aren't they? Like, yeah, exactly, like pillows and things that you can add in. Um, you want to just keep the whole, um, Mm -hmm. cot space, um, empty. But like you said, yeah, if it's from the, it's from, if it's from the head of the, say, foot of the bed, it's from the head of the bed or the cot, um, then you could try that. The better news to end the podcast on, as I kind of briefly (laughs) mentioned, is that most babies recover from reflux by the time they reach a year old. Despite that year, I think often feeling like way longer for parents of reflux babies. If you have any health concerns or worries about your child or yourself, please seek professional medical advice. And please don't worry about not being listened to because as a parent, you know your baby best, but also that's what healthcare professionals are there for. And as Stephanie said, you know, if just go back if you feel like things are not being resolved. Thank you so much to the GP mum, Stephanie Uy, for her wisdom, loveliness and laughs. We've loved having you on. You can listen to Steph on the Medic Mum podcast and find her online at the underscore GP underscore mum. You can find Sarah and I on there too. We're at The Sleep Mums on Instagram and Facebook. So do come and say hi. We make this podcast for you. So if there is a person, 
you know, within reason. And there have definitely been people that Sarah and I have been trying to get on. <laughs> but not relating to sleep or period really at all. <laughs> or subject that you would like us to chat about, please do let us know. We'd also love it if you subscribed to the podcast and, of course, left us a glowing review. It's basically the equivalent of us getting ARs kit. It means the world to us. Thanks so much, Steph. Take care, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Look after yourselves and sleep soon. <laughs>